Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. One of the ministers here at First Baptist Belton, and it is a joy to get to preach to you this morning. If you're joining uh, with us online this morning and you have chosen to worship with us, we are so glad that you have done so. Even if that means you get to worship in your PJs, we are sure glad that you are a part of us. You are certainly a valued part of our church. So it is good to see everybody here this morning. Man, I love that was a great way to start a service, was it? Wasn't it? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, guys. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my family and I got the opportunity to get to travel back home to Odessa, Texas. That's where my wife and I are from. And uh, anytime we get to do that, our priority is simple. We've got to get some good Mexican food. We, we really, we got to get some good Mexican food. I, I'm not hating on the Mexican food here in, in Belton or Temple, but, but listen, anytime we head out west... We've got to get some good Mexican food, and so we got to spend some time with some friends of ours, uh, longtime friends, and they invited us to a restaurant called Macarena's. It's a brand new restaurant out there in Midland, um, and anytime I go to a restaurant, I always ask, what should I get? Right, you ask that, what should I get? And a good friend of mine said, listen, the Chilirianos are out of this world they're the best Chilirianos you will ever eat. And so naturally I take his advice and I get a, I get a Chiliano. And listen, it was the best Chiliano I've ever eaten. I mean, anybody like a good Chiliano in here? Like three of you? Okay. All right. Well, um, you haven't been to Macarena's because I can promise you it's a good Chiliano. It is a great Chiliano. It's out of this world. And, uh, so we, we finished up our conversation, headed back to their house, spent more time together with them. And then the next day, we traveled to Odessa where we got to spend some time with my folks. And uh, it, it really didn't take me long for me to share with them, Dad, Mom, listen, you've got to go to Macarena's. It's a great Chiliano. You've got to go. And, and I think we do that all the time, right? We do that. We, we, we want to share our good experiences with those we love and we care about. Why? You ever ask yourself why we do that? It's because when you and I experience something good, something worth telling, we want to invite the people we love and we care into that experience, don't we? You know, for most of us in this, in this room, we're probably going to purchase most of our gifts. If you haven't already done so, men, listen, Christmas is coming up. Make sure you get on Amazon. It's only two days, prime shipping. Uh, but most of us, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna purchase our gifts for our loved ones online. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to look at a particular item. And, in, and that item, we're going to look at what we call a review. And that review is going to tell us whether that product is worth purchasing or, or if it's not worth purchasing. So we're going we're gonna to take the, the advice. We're going to take the experience from somebody who we may not ever know, we, who lives across the country. But yet, because they are sharing their experiences with us, we are going to take that and we are going to purchase our gifts this year. And so if we naturally do this with frivolous things like Chilerianos, not that that's frivolous, that's a, that's a treasured, treasured, treasured possession on this earth. But if we're going to do that with frivolous things like Chilerianos or maybe even gifts on Amazon, how then, how then can we not share the hope of Christ on this earth? If that's true... 
And we want to share our experiences with the people we love most and the people we interact and live and play alongside of. How then can we not share the hope of Christ? And so that's where I'm heading this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to answer this question. How do we offer the gift of hope this morning? So how do, how do the people of First Baptist Belton, who are living in Belton Temple, Bell County, how do you and I offer the gift of hope this Christmas season. Listen, I, I can't think of anything better to offer the world than the gift of hope, right? So that's where we're heading. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're covering verses 9 through 12, and I know what you're thinking. That's a short passage. Uh, he, he's going to wrap this thing up pretty quick. Listen, that is not true. Uh, Miss Sharon reminded me just this morning that there's no Sunday school after this, and so I can just go as long as the Holy Spirit leads. So buckle your seatbelt. I laugh, but she also told me that I had to be I had to be done by noon because she has to pick her lunch up at noon. So 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 we're going to we're going to we're going to get through it. So verses nine through twelve this morning of first Peter chapter two, if you'll pick up there with me in verse nine. It says, but you, you meaning the people of God, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. O beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelieving population of the world, honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, see your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation." You know, I love the book of First Peter. I think it's a great book. And Peter is writing to a specific people known as God's people in the earth. He even uses the phrase sojourners and exiles to tell the story of the fact that the people of God are living in exile. They are dispersed all throughout the known land, primarily due to religious persecution. And he reminds them a very similar thing that I reminded us last week is in the midst of circumstances, tough circumstances, we are to keep our eyes fixated, not on the things of this world, but we're to be fixated on Christ for he is our hope. He's our hope. That's what Peter is reminding the people, uh, the people of God in this season of their life. And in these specific verses, Peter is going to compare and contrast two different people in the world. Two two different people groups in the world. The first one are the people in the world. So that's me. That's you. That's our families. That's everybody who lives in the world. That is the people in the world. And then he's going to commit, he's going to compare the people in the world to the people of God. And he's going to do two things. He's going to remind them of their unique identity. He's going to say, listen, The people of God, I'm looking at you, the people of God, you have a unique identity. And then he's going to tell them of their unique purpose. And and in doing so, he is going to answer the question, how do you and I, how do you and I offer the gift of hope to the world this morning? Our unique identity 
and then he's going to give us our unique purpose. So let's begin with the unique identity. Verse 9, he says, but you, so not the people in the world, you, the people of God, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So first and foremost, he calls the people of God a chosen race. I love Merriam-Webster's dictionary of this. It defines race this way. It says, any one of the groups of people that humans are often divided into based on physical traits regarded as common among a people of a shared ancestry. So in Christ this morning, no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter your skin color, no matter your social background, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, what what Peter is telling them is you are a chosen race. You are a new ethnicity, a new people, a new people who have one shared ancestry, and that is the blood of Christ. See, we may not look alike, we may not act alike, we may not think alike. Goodness, we may even have an entirely different language and may even come from a different nation. And yet at the same time, we are united by the blood of Christ. We are a chosen race. See, our ties with one another as the people of God, they run far deeper than even our own natural bloodlines. See, we are the people of God united by the one thing that matters on this earth, and that is Jesus and him crucified. We are united by the blood of Christ. You are a holy chosen race. He goes on and he says, and you're also a royal priesthood. Simply put, it's the people of God are to be priests on this earth. I don't know if, if you're in this room and, and nobody's ever told you that you are a priest. Simply put, you are a minister you are an ambassador. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 reminds us that we are a new creation. We are an ambassador, representatives of God on this earth. That means when people look at you and when they look at me, we are to image God's character on this earth. That's what it means to be a priest, an ambassador. So see, instead of us rivaling God as we did in our formal way of life, we are to reflect God. So this morning, instead of rivaling God, we are to be a people who reflect him, reflect his character, reflect his integrity on this earth. But not only that, not only are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation. We know that holy just simply means to be set apart. What it doesn't mean is that we are to be perfect. See, God's desire is not that we would be perfect, that we, but, but that we would be progressing towards his perfection. Understanding that we will not, never reach that on this, uh, on this earth, but we can expect to reach that in all of eternity. We are a people who are to be holy, which means that you and I have to take holiness seriously, don't we? See, if the onlooking world is watching us and they're looking at us to see what God's like, then, then we are to be holy, right? God says... Be holy as I am holy. And so we're a people who are progressing towards holiness. Not that we've attained that, like Paul says, but that we are progressing towards the goal of holiness. We've got to be a people who take holiness seriously. And then here's the fourth one. I love this. We are God's possession. We're God's possession. Here, here's what that means. It means uh, what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, listen, from all of eternity... 
before the foundation was ever laid, I chose you, I set my love on you, I brought you into the family of God, I have called you my beloved, I have adopted you, you are mine. You are mine, God says. You are my masterpiece. You are my possession. I'm reminded what the apostle uh, John writes, and, and he says, listen, there is nothing that can take you out of the grasp of God's hand. Man, isn't that great? Isn't it great that you and I can live in the confidence that there is nothing that you and I can do to be removed out of the capable, secure hands of God our Father? That's you and I this morning. If you're in Christ this morning, then you can do nothing. Paul writes that in, in Romans 8, and he says, listen, there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are his possession. We are his possession this morning. You know, I love what, I love what Peter's writing here. I love the fact that he tells us that you and I are to own, we are to own our unique identity in this world. And I think if we were to boil all this down, we can describe our unique identity in one word. You know what that word is? Only one. Distinct. You and I, we are to be a distinct people on this earth. So while, yes, we do, we live in the world, we live amongst the people of the world, but we are not of the world. We are of an, an entirely other world, a new kingdom. And because we reflect that new kingdom, we are to be a distinct people on this earth. That is our unique identity as the people of God. But then he continues and then he gives us our unique purpose. We love to have purpose. Is anybody in here, we like, we love purpose, right? Just give me, give me the five points of what I need to do and how I need to do it. And I can live happy in that, right? We love purpose. He gives us our purpose in the latter half of verse nine. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people of God's possession. Why? So that you, hear this, may proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. If you want to know your purpose this morning, it's that you are a proclaimer. You're a proclaimer. See, we offer the hope of Christ by living out our unique identity and then taking responsibility for our purpose to be a proclaimer of God's goodness, his grace, and his hope on this earth. See, he gives us our purpose. We are to be a proclaimer. Therefore, we are to be the light of Christ by proclaiming the hope of Christ into the darkness of this world. Again, we are to be the light of Christ. We do this by proclaiming the hope of Christ into the darkness of the world. Our purpose on this earth is to share the hope of Christ on this earth. You know, if you were to keep reading in First Peter, you would get to Peter, First Peter chapter 3, specifically verse 15. And, and he, he calls them to be a people who are prepared. He says, be prepared in verse 15 to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. You know, I know we have a lot of military folks in the room. If you watched the Army and Navy game just a couple of weeks ago, uh, go Army. 
Um, if you watch that game, and I, I can't recall the, co- the head coach's name, but I loved what he said right before the game in his interview. Uh, he was being interviewed and he said, simply put, he said, listen, we can't be a people who plan. We've got to be a people who prepare. See, I think Christians, we've got to be a people who prepare. We can't just plan to share the gospel. We can't have the hope of sharing the gospel. We've got to be prepared to share the gospel. We've got to be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us. We need to be ready. We need to make ready, as the text says. So everywhere we go, our purpose is simple. To proclaim the hope of Christ. So whether that's at a restaurant with your waiter or waitress, whether that's the mailman, whether that's your friends or your family, we all have that uncle. We all have that uncle that we're praying for, whether it's our, that uncle, whether it's our coworker, whether it's a neighbor. See, our role on this earth is to live our unique identity and it's to be ready. It's to be prepared to proclaim the hope of Christ on this earth. You know, I think my father-in-law would be so ashamed for me to tell you this, but this is a place to be vulnerable, right? Uh, he'd be so ashamed that I'm about to tell you, but listen, I don't know a thing about cars. I wish I did. I wish I did. My, my, my bank account wishes I knew how to fix cars, but unfortunately, I don't know how to fix cars. But here's one thing I know. I know that a car does not run unless it has an engine. So whether you're driving a 2020 Mercedes or a 2021 Lamborghini, bless you, um, or whether you're driving that 1984 Honda, listen, it is not going to enter the race unless you have an engine in that car. And see, I think the people of God need to understand the engine that makes our proclamation go, right? We need to understand the source, the energy by which we proclaim, because it's not just because we should, it's because we get to. It's because we can. See, the source of our proclamation, I think Peter gives it to us here in verse 10. He says, see, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He says, once you had, you'd not received mercy, but, but now you have received mercy. See, he's reminding them of who they are and where they have come from. Maybe you've heard that saying, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you've come from. But the problem that you and I face this morning is that we're a, we are a forgetful people, aren't we? Man, I, I know for me, I hate to admit it, my pride's on the line here, but I am a forgetful person. As a matter of fact, if it's not for the cloud, which whatever that means, uh, you know, I mean, if uh, let's be honest, if, if I really knew what the cloud was, uh, I have no clue what that thing is, but I am so thankful for it because you know what I can do? I can get out my phone and, and I can I can you know, type in a note in my phone and, and simultaneously it shows up on my iPad and then on my MacBook. I mean, it's the most amazing thing. It's like having a personal assistant 24-7. And it is the best thing in my life because it keeps my life together. If not, I'd probably run around with like a chicken with my head got off. But thankful for the cloud because we are forgetful. Uh, we are a forgetful people. But you know what? I'm reminded that that, that is not uncommon to humanity. That's not uncommon to humanity, is it? See, in my, my quiet time right now, I'm, I'm working through the book of Deuteronomy. And, and I know many of you are probably going to start reading plans in, in January. I hope you do. Uh, I hope, I, here's my encouragement. I want you to know that Deuteronomy is an incredible book. It's an incredible book. And listen, it is worth trudging through the book of Leviticus to get to Deuteronomy. Because I promise you, there's hope. 
there's some good, good, good stuff in the book of Deuteronomy as God gets his people ready to enter the land. And, and one of the constant themes that just shows up over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy is this. Don't forget. Don't forget, Israel. Don't forget that I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. Right? Don't forget that I'm the one who, who parted the Red Sea. Don't forget that I am the one who clothed you and fed you in the midst of the wilderness. Don't forget. And what do they do? Doggone it, they forget. They forget. You know, we are a forgetful people. We too, like Israel, find ourselves in a similar place. We forget We forget what Paul writes in Ephesians 2 when he says that at one time we were separated from Christ. Separated. At one time we were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of of Israel. We were alienated from the family of God is what Paul's saying. He says, listen, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Hear this. Having no hope and without Christ in the world. See, at one time you and I Maybe some of you sitting in this room had no hope. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated. We were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. But God, but God in his grace who saw us, not when we were at our best, but what Romans 5 says, when we were at our worst, God saw us and he gave us his son He called us to him and he called us into his beloved. Oh, Christians, how can we not share the hope of Christ? How can this not be the engine that drives our proclamation? Listen, if that is not enough to drive your proclamation, I I don't know what else will be. I don't know what else will be. See, I think the problem for you and I is it's really hard to proclaim that which we're not experiencing Right, like if we're not doing what I talked about last week, embracing the hope of Christ, living in the hope of Christ, man, it, it just makes it really difficult for me to share the hope of Christ if I'm not walking in it, if I'm not standing in it. See, it'd be really weird for me to get up here and say, man, this, you've got to try this Chiliriano if I've never tried it. Right? See, we've got to be a people who own our identity who walk in our identity, who are walking in the hope of Christ. That's who we are. That's who we have to be. And as an overflow of that, understanding that at one time we were separated from Christ, but now he has called us into his beloved. He has adopted us. How then can we not tell everybody we know about that message? Listen, we have to understand that at one point, we were just like the people in the world who right now are living under the crushing weight of the cares of this world who are doing everything that they can just to keep their head above water. We have got to be the people who are willing to throw the raft. Who are willing to to be the hope in their life so that they might see the true hope who will never disappoint. See, we've got to be a people who proclaim the hope of Christ. That is our purpose. You know, 1 Peter 3.15, I mentioned that earlier. Oftentimes, I think we focus, rightly so, on being prepared to share We've got to be prepared to share, right? But I think we oftentimes forget the latter half of that where, where, where Peter reminds us, be, procla- be, be prepared to share the hope of Christ that is in you to who? Anyone who asks. 
But see, here's the caveat to that, right? If people don't see a hope in you, why would they ask for the hope that is in your life? Listen, the answer is simple. They won't. They're not going to. Listen, the Bible is clear that the world is not looking for Christ. That's why you and I have to be a picture for what the world needs to see of Christ. That's why we need to reflect him so that the world can see what it looks like to validate our proclamation. See, to answer the question, how are we to offer the gift of hope this morning? We've got to understand that we've got to own our unique identity. We've got to proclaim. But then listen, we have got to be a people who validate both our identity and our proclamation. We've got to validate it with our conduct. That's what Peter says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. He says, Beloved, listen, oh, my beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It's killing you. The sin in your life, it's killing you. It's weighing you down, Peter writes. So he says, keep your conduct among the unbelieving population of the world, the the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When they see you, do they see him? When they see your life, do they see him? Do they look at your life and glorify God? Or do they look at your life and go, wow, they look just like me? That's what Peter's calling out of us. And, and he's saying, listen, a mouth that proclaims must be a lifestyle that demonstrates. And a life that demonstrates must be a mouth that proclaims. See, it can't be one or the other. Jesus makes it clear. It's got to be both word and deed. We got to proclaim, but then we've got to live. We got to validate the hope of Christ. If we don't, no one else on this earth will. We've got to be a people who validate the claims of Christ. And so maybe you're in this room and you're going, listen, okay, Logan, I get that. I, I, I've been told that my whole life, but, but what does that look like? What does it look like for us to validate that with our life? And, and, and man, Peter does a great job. He, he gives us exactly what it looks like. He, he, he paints a portrait in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, after all that I've told you guys, after everything that I've said, he goes, all of you. That means all of us. It's not the 90-10 rule. It's not 10% of the people in this room doing 90% of the work. That is not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, listen, all of us, every one of us, it takes all of us in this room. Not just the minister's. Right? Not just, not just our Sunday school leaders. It takes all of us, every single one of us. We are only as good as our weakest link. It takes every one of us, Peter writes. And then he says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. He says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but oh, on the contrary, bless, for this is why you were called. He kind of goes back to that purpose, doesn't he? Back to that identity. He says, listen, when you are functioning the way that I have designed you to function on this earth, right, to, to be a holy nation, to be a people of his possession, a, a chosen race, a kingdom of priests, when you're operating like that and when you're, uh, when you're faithful to proclaim, he says, what you're going to do is be a blessing to this earth. 
Because you were designed to do that. That's what the people of God are designed to do, to be distinct and be a blessing to this earth. And again, then he paints the picture and he says, listen, first and foremost, we need to be of unity of mind. We need to be unified. Listen, there is one thing that the enemy would love to do to First Baptist Belton right now. And that's to divide us. See, the one thing that Satan would love to do, one thing, he would love to divide you and me. See, in the midst of all of the uncertain circumstances with faithful God, faithful future, with our building, in the midst of COVID and all of this, the one thing that God would love to do in us right now is to divide us. Oh, we've got to fight. We've got to fight. We've got to be a people who say, no, 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 no. We're going to be unified. We're going to be unified in the present. We're going to be unified in the future. And we are going to be a unified people, which simply means uh, we, we are going to unify and we're going to rally around the blood of Christ. We're going to rally around his life, his death, and his resurrection for that is worth holding on to. So see, we may, we may not look alike. We may not have the same skin color. We may not have the same language. We may not have the same preferences. We may not even vote the same, but yet at the same time, we are going to be the people who are unified on this earth. We're going to be unified in Bell County. We're going to be unified in Belton. Listen, everybody in the world right now is divided, not us. See, we're not going to be a people who are divided. We are going to be a people who are unit unified, but not only that, number two, we're going to be sympathetic. Listen, I am not by nature a sympathetic person. I don't have that gift. Uh, My wife is not a sympathetic person. You can pray for our children. We're working through it. We're working through it. We're going to get there. You can pray for them. But we have got to be a people who are sympathetic. That doesn't mean you have to understand differences. That doesn't mean you have to understand the different walks of life in which the people come to Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to understand any and everything about people to be sympathetic. You just have to be willing. You got to be willing to linger. You got to be willing to care and to love people. We got to be a sympathetic people. Number three, we've got to show brotherly love toward one another. We got to be a people who love. You know, uh, four years ago when God called me to First Baptist Belton, um, it didn't take me long to figure out what we do well. You know what we do well? We love people. First Baptist Belton, we love people. That is one of the areas in which we do really, 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 really well. But I've noticed something in 2020. We haven't loved each other like we should. We haven't loved each other like we should. See, one of the the key identifiers of First Baptist Belton, and anybody who comes to visit our church, it doesn't take them long to go, wow, this is a group of people who love one another. And see, we've allowed some of the things in our life, some of our differences, maybe preferences. We've allowed a building. We've allowed some things to come between us. And listen, that's not okay for us. We don't get that out as the people of God. We've got to be a people who love one another, even if we don't understand one another. We've got to be a people who love one another. We've got to be kind-hearted forth. We've got to be humble. And we've got to be a people like Paul writes in Philippians that reflect Jesus' character, that 
although, although in eternity past he sat with the Father, he came to this earth, born the likeness of men as a servant. Listen, guys, we need to be a people who are servants, who put our devotion and our adoration of God over everything else. We've got to be a people who are identified by our servant-heartedness. Number six, we need to be quick to reconcile. Listen, that's going to get on our pride a little bit. We've got to be a people who are quick to forgive and a people who are quick to ask forgiveness. We've got to be those people. We've got to be those people. And, 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 and you know, here's my concern. My concern for us today is, is not whether or not we're doing these things. I think we are. I think we do a really good job in these, in these areas. My concern is, are we consistent in our message to Belton? Are we consistent in the message by which we are demonstrating in Belton Temple and Bell County? Is it a consistent message? See, here's the thing, right? The whole world is nothing but a variable. At any moment, anything could happen. It is a variable. The one thing that should remain constant is what? You and me. First Baptist Belton, we are to be the one thing that remains constant. When everything else is nothing but a storm, you and I are constant because God is constant. We have to be a people who are constant amidst the variables of life. You know, to this point, one church member sent me a great article a couple weeks ago, and um, man, it was really good. It was very, very, very convicting. It was written by a young person named Ben Sixsmith, and, and he's analyzing Christianity. And I, wanna, I want you to see what he writes at the very, this is the way he ends his article by analyzing Christianity. He says, you know, I'm not religious, He says, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and they should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, hear that, a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it sure seems like they very much want to look more like me. I think he asks a great question by saying, I mean, why in the world would I want to look like them if, if they are working so hard to look like me? And yet, yet what we know as followers of Christ is we are to not look like the world, but we are to look like Christ. To stand in the gap, right? To live out our unique identity, right? To be that chosen race, right? To be the royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be God's possession, to proclaim the hope of Christ anywhere and everywhere we go, and then to validate that message. You know, if you're going, well, I get that and I appreciate that, Logan. I, I've heard these things, but, but, what, but why does this matter? Why does this matter? And, and I think it matters for at least two reasons. I think it matters that you and I offer the gift of hope for at least two particular reasons. The first one is, is, is pretty well known. It's common. I think, you'll, I think you'll agree. Because eternity rests on it. Eternity rests 
on us living out our unique identity. Eternity rests on you and I proclaiming the message of hope. Eternity rests on our life validating that message. This morning, First Baptist Belton, heaven and hell weigh in the balance on you and I living out our unique identity and proclaiming and validating our identity and purpose on this earth. Heaven and hell, they weigh in the balance. The second reason is because our present circumstances rest on it. Present circumstances rest on it. Yes, absolutely. Eternity rests on it. Of course, absolutely. But something I think that we all too forget, all too often forget, is that so does the present. See, we're surrounded by a people right now, this morning, who have no hope who again are drowning under the weight and the cares of this world, who are desperate for hope. Their present circumstances rest on whether or not you are going to go to the restaurant here in just a little bit and share the hope of Christ. Your neighbor, their hope rests on whether or not you're going to stand in the gap and live out your unique identity and your purpose on this earth. Our present circumstances Rest on it. There's a well-known TV series called Lost. Maybe some of you have seen it. Jordan and I watched it and we really enjoyed it till about the uh, last quarter. I'm not going to run it for you. But it tells the dramatic story of a group of people who survived a plane crash and are trying to survive on an island with little to nothing at their disposal. Or their disposal. At one point in the story, it becomes clear to a small group of survivors that they had crashed a thousand miles off course with no one to detect where they have landed. If I remember right, I think they had found a radio and maybe a map or something of that nature. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they recognized the fact that, that they were a thousand miles off course. I want you to think about that. I'm sure you can, you can, uh, you can experience, you can relate to that experience of hopelessness. Well, what are we going to do? And one of the characters in the show, she asks a great question. She says, listen, should we tell the others on the island the unfortunate news? Should we tell them? Should we tell them that, that man, we landed a thousand miles off of course with no one to detect us, that it's absolutely hopeless, that there's nothing that we can do? Should we tell them? And I love what one character says. I want you to hear this because I think it's profound. He says, if, they, if we tell them what we know... If we tell them that we've landed a thousand miles off course, no one to detect us. He said, if we tell them that knowledge, if we give them that knowledge, then we take away their hope. And hope is a very dangerous thing to lose. If we tell them what we know, it'll take away their hope. And hope is a very dangerous thing to lose. So I think as Christians this morning, as the people of God this morning, I think we can flip that statement on its head. And, and I think we can say this. If we tell them what we know, then we give them great hope. If we tell them what we know, then we give them hope. And hope is the most valuable thing on this earth. For with it, we can endure anything. See, if the people of God, if we tell them what we know then we give them hope and it is the most valuable thing on this earth. For with it, you can endure anything. 
See, oftentimes I think we forget that we too have crashed on an island. See, in the Garden of Eden, there was a terrible plane crash. It's a terrible plane crash. The entire harmony of the universe was shattered and it was broken as this plane crashed on the earth. A thousand miles off of course, you and I find ourselves this morning. But what you and I know is that God has initiated a rescue mission, hasn't he? See, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he has initiated a mission, a rescue mission uh, to come to this earth in the midst of the rubble of the plane crash, not to just sympathize with the people, but to save a people, to give them hope, to give them a future, to give them a hope that is undefiled and unfading. That is the message in which you and I have this morning. So are we going to tell them the message? Are we going to be a people who look at all the rest of the folks on this island and give them the message of hope? Because if we do, if we do, we give them great hope. And hope is the most valuable thing on this earth. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for that rescue mission. Because if it were not for that, we would not have hope. And we would be just like the rest of the people on this earth And so, Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saw us from eternity past. You did not count heaven anything to be grasped, but rather you submitted yourself, you humbled yourself to that of a servant coming to this earth to give your life for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. And we thank you the hope that we have. Lord, let us be a people who stand in our unique identity, proclaim the purpose, who validate that message. And let us run the race that is set before us. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Listen, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to get to see you and to worship alongside of you. If you're in this room and and, and you have never heard anything about that rescue mission, man, we would love to talk with you about that. Um, Hope is the most valuable thing on this earth. It truly is. And you can have it today. All you have to do is just say yes come to Jesus. For those of you who are saying, hey, listen, I'm already in Christ. I I have that hope. Hey, we got to be a people who live that identity. We've got to be a people who proclaim the message and validate it with our lives. Thank you for coming this morning. If you don't know Christ, please come as you stand and as Gary leads us in the invitation. As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sunday for our traditional worship service at 8.30 or our contemporary service at 11 and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God.